does the idea of filing for social security just make you nervous, make you uncomfortable, make you worried you're not making the right decision? Well, we get the question all the time, when is the right time to file for social security? And so, you know, there's so much out there. Uh, what we decided is let's bring in an expert. Her name is Heather Schreiber. And you'll learn very quickly that she knows exactly what she's talking about. Uh, we're going to talk about social security and all the different things that you need to know before you decide to file. Um, it's a great episode. Yeah, I'll say this. If you've not filed or you know somebody who has not filed and they're, let's just call them in that range of filing. So 60, 62, 64, you got to listen to this episode. It just was, we got through the, with the interview and Merce and I were like, my goodness, that was a lot of information. And so uh, we hope that you find it a benefit. By the way, we do have uh, resources on this particular topic as well on our website. If you go to pomwealth.net and go to the blog page, you can find a lot of information on these topics. Uh, there's an article written every single week, and we have an article written on this particular topic of Social Security. So if you hear all these things that uh, Heather talks about, and you're going, oh, my goodness, it's, uh, it's blowing my mind. We wrote a whole article on it. So that way you can get all that information. Anyway, uh, we hope you enjoy the show. But before we get in, we have to do a quick disclosure. That's right. The information in this podcast is intended to provide general information only, not to be considered individualized advice. Different types of investments carry different levels of risk. As always, please contact your financial professional for advice appropriate to your situation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Monday podcast, where we try to always bring somebody uh, that we can interview that's an expert in the area, different areas of retirement, getting ready for retirement. And I will say that one of the biggest questions that Merce and I get questioned on is Social Security. So today we have an expert, Heather Schreiber who is somebody that we've actually partnered with because of what she knows about social security. And uh, she actually helps make sure that we're not missing anything because the topic of social security can be rather complicated. So let me just say this first. Thank you so much, Heather, for coming on and, and answering our questions on this topic of social security. Pleasure to be here. Great. So, um, you know, People ask all the time a ton of questions. Merce and I, whenever we're building uh, retirement financial plans, Social Security is one of the biggest things that we help people navigate and help people think through. Um, I guess, though, you know, the question comes down to, you know, most times people are wondering, when should I take Social Security? And they, you know, you can find articles, you can find all kinds of things that will tell you, I always wait until the last time because if by waiting, they throw that number out there, you get an 8% you know, jump every year by waiting. But is it just that simple that, that we would wait until 70 if we possibly can? Or what else do we need to consider? Can you help help our listeners understand how you help us think on that? Sure. 
you know, I, I don't like, you know, always, you know, it's always best to do this or that. And that's what you tend to find. Of course, there are some benefits to waiting until 70. You get the, the maximum benefit. But if it were that easy, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, I think that, you know, you really need to look at the individual or the couple, if you're working with a couple and determine what is best for them. There's a lot of things that go into it. Some people will say, gosh, I can't wait until 70. This is going to be the primary income source that I have in retirement. In fact, more than half of folks rely on it for at least 50% of their income and quite a few also rely on it for more than 90%. So sometimes it just comes down to, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the workforce. I don't have the ability to continue to work in any capacity. And so I have to take it. You know, of course, what also comes into play is health. You know, we can't, we don't have a crystal ball, but we have to look at the longevity and certainly looking at the longevity expectation of the couple. Um, that's when you can get into trouble. You know, I hear people say, well, what's my break even? I'm sure you've heard this too. People are always saying from a numeric standpoint, when does it make more sense for me to go ahead and file at 62, which is the earliest I can file versus waiting until my full retirement age, which now ranges anywhere between 66 and 67 or waiting until 70. And you have to be careful with that too. A break even, you know, we can look at that as a, as a starting point, but when you're working with couples, you certainly have to look at a, a lot of things like what's the age disparity between the couple. Or what's the income disparity? Is there one? Do we have one spouse that worked primarily outside the home and we have one that perhaps was raising children for a bit or not working at all? Those things all come into play. So while I'd say, you know, it would be great if everyone could wait until 70 to secure that highest benefit, you really have to look at everything, including other assets they have saved for retirement, you know, what and what types of assets those are. So I would say steer clear of, of articles or people that say everyone should do this or everyone should do that and really look to find someone who is willing to sit down and really analyze your particular situation. So I think everything that you just said there is is spot on. I mean, Ray and I, we talk about it from a from a more holistic look and say, well, you every every situation is different, every family mm -hmm. is different. And that's why everybody's retirement plan should be catered to them. And part of that is figuring that figuring out the social security question, which is a huge one. And it's a big decision to make, you know, everyone gets overwhelmed with the thought of how, how am I going to retire? When am I going to retire? Right. And now the social security thing is all shouldn't should be taken as heavily as that question of when can I retire? So um, I think your, your response there is perfect. It's spot on. Uh, and, and, and the, the, the summary there is that, there is no one answer. And we do have to really do some work and think about everything, not just, hey, how can I get the most from Social Security? It needs to be, how can I make Social Security work the best for me? Exactly, uh, so exactly. Yeah, and Mars, I would add to that, that you know, the, the pension, you know, th this is for many people, the pension of their retirement, right? We, pensions are going away, at least in, in the, the public sector. We do have some, you know, pensions that's still for federal employees or teachers and, and, and those folks. But for the most part, this is going to be the pension for many Americans. And so I say to them, you know, if you had the opportunity to have a pension and you, when you're getting ready to retire, and if you've seen it, you know, they give you options. You know, do I take it as a single life? Do I take it qualified joint and survivor 50% or whatever? It's a very important decision. And this is no different because this is likely going to be the pension for many of us. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that is spot on. So 
Um, so that's good, a, a very good high level overview as to, I think we, Raiden and I, and now Heather, we all agree we're all on the yeah. same page here that, you know, we need to think through this, but let's get into some of the technical stuff because a lot of our clients really haven't uh, applied yet. And they're, they're trying to figure it out themselves. A lot of our listeners in the same boat. And so let's, let's talk about what if we decide, so you mentioned you can take it as early as 62 right. and there's full retirement age. That's around 66 or 67, depending on when you're born. And the latest is 70. So if someone is thinking about taking it before their full retirement age, what are some things they need to think about there as far as maybe their income or taxes or, or anything like that? Yeah. So what I would say, you know, when I, when I work with, with producers or advisors that are working with a couple and they say, you know, at least one of them or, or a single person is considering filing early. The very first question I always want to know is, are they working? Because there is a, a limit on how much someone can earn and collect a benefit before full retirement age. So that's one thing. So for example, if someone's under full retirement age for the entire year this year, in 2021, if they earn more than $18,960, there's an annual earnings test. And it simply says that if you earn more than that, then the amount of that income over that limit is going to reduce or withhold the benefits by half of that. So a lot of folks don't understand how this works and they are surprised to learn that let's suppose someone has $10,000 over the, the limit on earnings. That means that $5,000 of their benefit will be withheld if they claim before full retirement age. And what happens is when you're trying to plan income, that withholding of that $5,000 occurs before any dollar is paid. Meaning if someone has, let's say $2,000 a month as their benefit amount, they're not going to collect a benefit until month four, because 5,000 divided by two and a half is 2.5 months, they round it to three. And so they don't get that benefit until month four. People that aren't prepared for that are obviously planning for income, that can be a problem. So that's always the first question that I ask. The other is, even if they're not, if they say, no, I'm retired, I wanna go ahead and take my benefit, they need to understand obviously that there is a reduction and it's generally a permanent one that will last for as long as they live. Um, and if they have a spouse that's working, so they don't have a problem with the annual earnings test because a spouse's earnings won't affect them there, then they might have a tax issue. So does it, you have to look at all of the sources of income that's going to supplement that social security benefit to say, hey, does it make sense to make an early claim knowing that it's gonna be permanently reduced based upon the number of months early that we make the claim? Do we have an issue with the earnings limitation? And if we don't, that's great. But then do we have an issue with potentially getting a net benefit that isn't the same as the gross because of earnings from a spouse, for example? So you have to look at that. Now, if we're talking about a single person, it becomes a much easier conversation to have. If they say, you know what, I'm not working. I don't have the, annual, the earnings test issues. Um, this is my source of retirement income. I don't expect to live, you know, let's say they, they're, you know, everyone in their family died relatively young, then that's an easier conversation in terms of, you know, yeah, it might make sense for you to go ahead and file because if you don't expect to live as long, then it could, it could make sense cumulatively from a break-even standpoint. But there's a lot of things to think about. What other sources of income are going to supplement this as one of them because of the taxes? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, that's, very, very good to think through. Now, we were before we started recording this uh, episode, we started, we were asking and we were talking about this old thing that went away called file and suspend, which went away, you said in 2016. Right. But then you mentioned something that you feel is underutilized today, and that's called a restricted application. Could you explain to our listeners what that is and why that could potentially be a benefit? 
Yeah, so restricting an application has a short shelf life in terms of folks that can utilize it, there's still some out there. They have to have been bo born by January 1st, 1954. That's the, the birth date. If you are born by that date, your ears need to perk up because this strategy allows you to file first for spousal benefits. Now, these folks are already at least 67 at this point. So, you know, the people that I see that don't utilize it that could are the ones that maybe plan on waiting until an advanced age to claim as late as age 70. Um, but they it allows them to file first for spousal benefits. They're restricting their application to spousal benefits only. So that can be that's 50% of the primary insurance amount of their spouse. Um, and they're allowing their own benefits to earn those coveted delayed retirement credits to the tune of 8% per 12 months of delay. So this is a strategy, again, for someone who hasn't yet filed for benefits, who plans to wait until a later age, age 70, let's say, who meets that birth date requirement. The other critical component of that is that they have to have a spouse that is either filed for benefits or is willing to, because the file and suspend, the other side of that coin um, that Marsh, you, you mentioned is no longer. So in order for the restricted application uh, strategy to be used, the spouse that you want to restrict from has to be willing to file or have already filed for a benefit. Now, that's a lot to, to take in. The point is, if you are in that situation where you've met that birth date requirement, then you need to, to, to talk to someone because that is an opportunity to get income while you're allowing your own benefit to grow. I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. Okay, so I, I'm going to make sure I follow that up because I just want to give like an example. Okay. So let's say that we've got a, a, a couple and uh, the the one is started taking Social Security, whatever, whenever they did it. So mm -hmm. let's let's just say that the couple, I guess, is the same age, right? So you got 67 okay. and 67. So the one of the couple says they're going to file, they're going to go ahead and take their social security. And let's just make all these numbers easy. And let's say mm -hmm. their social security is $2,000 a month. Okay. Right. So now if the person who has not filed yet, they could file a restricted application, restricting themselves to just spousal benefits. Right. So they're going to get half of the 2000 because they're the same age. So they're going to get a thousand dollars. Right. And then their benefit though is still growing until their age 70 and then they can turn theirs on. Yep. So their benefit would be without any cost of living adjustments, 2640, right? So they're able to collect that $1,000. And then when they turn over to their own benefit, that 2000, because of the 32% increase has increased to 2640. Now, one thing I'll say about that example, that's a great example, but they both don't have to meet the birth date requirement. So let's suppose, let me tweak that example a little bit and say, okay, let's suppose that the wife is the one that goes ahead and files and she's 65. Okay, that's fine. She has to file though. And even if she files early, that $2,000 won't be the full amount because she's filing at 65, but the, 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 the spouse is still gonna get half of her 2,000 because he's over full retirement age, 
right? Okay. So that's a common misconception. People say, well, we both have to be, meet that January 1st, 1954 birth date requirement. Uh, and that isn't the just case. Just the one who's restricted. Just the one. Yes, just the okay. one. The okay. other one has to file though. Yeah, yeah. So it works that way too. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a very, very huge benefit that I think is being really overlooked right now. I, I probably discover at least two a week um, in, in consulting, but they're, they're missing that. And so the other thing with that is, you know, I've, I've come into situations where they could have filed already, right? They're 67 or they're even 68 at this point. They, they're planning to wait until 70. Their spouse filed a long time ago. They can not only restrict, but they can also ask for six months of retroactive spousal benefits. That's the maximum you can go. You can only go back six months or back to full retirement age, whichever is less. Um, but they could also get six months of retroactive benefits if they discover it after the fact. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, even just walking through that example and the way that you explained it makes it clear to me that, I mean, everyone should be really taking a good, good look at and analyzing uh, what their options are. And, and unfortunately, sometimes it's just, well, I'm 67. So I'll just go ahead and file at 67 without looking at all the different options that are out there. So um, now, now we, we, we have kept saying this word and then you, you briefly explained it, but I think it's important enough to come back to, and that's the spousal benefit. Yeah. Um, so how does that work? I mean, you, you said 50%, but it's not as simple as just 50%, right? Yeah. So let's take an example of someone who's, who does wait until 70 and maybe their spouse is 62. Um, and let's say that that 70 benefit to make it easy is $3,000. And the spouse wants to file and is going to use a spousal benefit, but they say, I want to take it at 62. Do they get 50% of that amount? No. So they also don't get 50% of the 70. So at the very base, the maximum spousal benefit is always 50% of the primary insurance amount. I'll say of the, the higher earning spouse, let's just say, okay. So instead of that $3,000 a month benefit, let's suppose that that person's primary insurance amount is more like 2,400 the maximum spousal benefit, regardless of when that person files, the higher earner files, is always going to be to start at 50% of, in my example, $2,400 or $1,200, okay? That's, start, that's the starting point. Whether or not the, I'll call the dependent spouse, collects the full $1,200 is gonna be based upon when they file for the benefit. And that is a huge point of misconception for folks. They always think, well, I'm gonna get either half of what the age 70 benefit is because my spouse waited to 70 or conversely, they might think, well, my spouse filed early. So now I'm only entitled to 50% of their age 62 benefit. And that is not the case. The starting point is always, regardless of when that higher wage earner files, 50% of their primary insurance amount, which is the amount they would collect at full retirement age, okay? Whether or not they get that depends upon when that, that dependent spouse files for it. So if they file at 60, there could be as much as a 30% reduction. And it works just like it would for retirement benefits. The earlier you take it before full retirement age, the more it will be reduced. So for someone with a 67 uh, full retirement age, it could be reduced by as much as 35%. So it's gonna be somewhere between 30 and 35% if they collect it as soon as they're able to. Now, the other thing you gotta keep in mind is remember, spousal benefits are not on the table until that, that higher wage earner files for benefits. So if in this case, let's say we have a 62-year-old and a 70-year-old, or let's make it easier. Let's say we've got a 65-year-old and a 70-year-old, the 70-year-old being the higher wage earner. Um, that person, the 70-year-old has to file before the 65-year-old could even begin to say, hey, help pay me a spousal benefit. 
So that's, that's important to know too. Okay. Yeah. I think, you know, just listening to it, I always, you know, hear these things and you're, you know, you're able to, you know, because you do this every day, just go through all this and, and Merce and I do this every day, but yet, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes just to think it through. And I just, as I'm listening to it, basically saying, all right, I hope everybody listening says, <laughs> if I'm not taking social security, I do not want to do this without somebody helping me think it through. You know, and that's, that's the challenge. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. You're so passionate about it because it is such an incredibly important decision. And the reality is, I mean, now we have the challenges of the field offices being closed, but if someone goes into social security expecting to get help with how to make that decision or when, how to do it, they're not going to get it from the social security offices. And the reason is they're specifically prohibited from giving anything that looks like advice. So you really have to go in there and power. You have to know what you know and be prepared before you go in, which is why it's so incredibly important to work with someone who can help you navigate it. Because yes, I, you know, I know it because I live and breathe it, but someone that's just new to this really needs to kind of work with someone that can help them navigate all of the things that need to be considered when making that very important decision. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot there. I've got one more technical type of question. I think we're, uh, we've already given enough out here to probably make people think, but I, my last question here is, um, uh, as far as the spouse. So let's go to the scenario of, of, um, the higher earning spouse. What happens if that higher earning spouse that has the higher social security and they've already filed for it, what happens if they pass away? How does that work in that family? Okay. So when you're talking about spousal or even ex-spousal benefits, uh, for folks that were married for at least 10 plus years, you're always ba- the, the maximum was always going to be 50% of that other spouse's primary insurance amount, the amount at full retirement age. What's different with survivor benefits is not only is it not 50%, it's 100%, but the earliest benefit age at which some, a survivor can collect a benefit goes from 62 to 60, sometimes 50 if they were disabled within seven years of death, but in general, it's 60. So the, the, the big takeaway with that is you're dealing with a higher benefit base. The, the base amount that a survivor would receive is 100% of what the deceased spouse was collecting at the time of their death or entitled to collect at the time of their death. Now, that also includes delayed retirement credits that that deceased spouse may have earned. So that's why it's so incredibly important when you're dealing with married couples, particularly when there's a disparity in income benefits. Let's suppose the younger spouse has a much smaller benefit, as in this case, we're using this example of you know, a, a lower earning spouse. What happens when one spouse dies is one of those benefits is going to go away and it's a lower one. So that's step number one. You need to understand that they're not going to continue to collect both. They're going to collect the higher. So they will then step up to what that deceased spouse was collecting at the time of their death that they were collecting. Whether or not they get the full 100% is based on what? when they file for it. So if that person is long past full retirement age, when their spouse passes, then they're going to step up to collect exactly what that that deceased spouse was collecting. If they're under full retirement age and they choose to to collect it early. So let's, you know, let's say that that's the only benefit that they're entitled to. They didn't have their own retirement benefit. Then it's going to be reduced based upon the number of months before their full retirement age, they collect it. So big, big takeaway there is you know, delayed retirement credits earned by the higher earning spouse are inherited by the surviving spouse. Okay. So that's, that's critical. And that's why when we're talking about this break-even conversation, what's my break-even when you're working, when you're a couple, you have to look at the, the, the longevity a of both of them, but also look at 
what the higher wage earning spouse does in terms of file date is going to impact adversely or positively the survivor income for whichever of the two survives the other. Okay. So uh, you said something there just made me think of one other question on this. If, if go to a scenario where somebody was married to somebody for longer than 10 years okay. and they um, are divorced or, or death, either one, I guess, they, the, that person, well, no, they're not death. I guess divorce is my bigger question. So they can still file spouse, spousal benefit on that, from that relationship, from that marriage, right? Depends. So okay. yes, if there is a marriage, if, if someone was married for 10 plus years, even if they were married more than once at 10 plus years a shot, and if that benefit, if what that benefit under their former spouse, that spousal, that ex-spousal benefit is greater than their own. Now I'm talking about people born after January 1st, 1954 now. If they've earned their own retirement benefit and that ex-spousal benefit is greater than their own, they absolutely can file for it, okay? Retirement benefits, we, we didn't really get into this, but folks born after January 1st, 1954 can't use the restricted application strategy. And so they fall into a category called deemed filing. And that essentially means if they have their own retirement benefit, it's always going to be paid first. If the ex-spousal or spousal, as the case may be, produces a higher benefit, then they'll get the difference to bring them up to that higher benefit amount. So yes, if someone was married for more than 10 years, their former spouse is still living, um, and they're currently unmarried, then they can collect if it's higher than their own retirement benefit, or if they don't have one at all, they can collect as much as 50% as, a for, as an ex-spousal benefit. Mm -hmm. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, but if they're remarried, then it, it, it voids that. It, if they re, so, so suppose they were collecting the ex-spousal benefit for a while, and then they walk down the aisle again, then those benefits would stop mm. while that former spouse was still living. Now, I don't know if you're going to pivot to this, but I will. Okay. If instead this ex-spouse passes, okay, still the 10 plus requirement, the 10 plus of marriage requirement is necessary. But let's suppose we're now talking about a former spouse that has passed away. If the, the former spouse or if the, the living, the now living spouse doesn't remarry until at least 60, then they can still collect the, mm -hmm. the survivor benefits from that former spouse. And this also applies to current, currently married spouses. If, two, if spouses are married, one passes away. As long as that, the, the surviving spouse remarries at 60 or later, they can still collect the survivor benefit from that former spouse. That's important because typically a survivor benefit is going to be higher than the spousal benefits from the new spouse, right? Because remember the spousal benefit while a spouse is living is, is capped at 50% of full retirement age benefit. Survivor benefits are capped at 100% of what that, that deceased spouse was collecting. So remarriage at 60 or later. And I always remind people of that. Of course, people that have just gone through, you know, the loss of a spouse aren't thinking about it. But if we're dealing with young widow and widowers, it's something that you need to think about because it's a, it's a source of income that they can count on if they remarry at 60 or later. Gotcha. So, so you already kind of mentioned it when you decide to start to actually file for social security, don't expect to get any advice from the other person yeah. on the, on the other, on the other side of the phone. Um, but can you just give us an idea? What is the process like when someone decides they're ready to file, they know what they want to do, what should they do and how quickly should they do it uh, right. before they turn that age? Okay. So generally speaking, you should, if you, you should plan to file three to four months before you want to receive your first check. 
the easiest way to do most filings is the online portal. It's very self-explanatory. Um, you can even restrict an application on the online portal. So if you have a My Social Security account, you go right in there and, and you don't even, I don't even think you have to have one. You can actually do one without it, but you can go in and what I always suggest, you know, it'll ask you for some critical information about, you know, your age, your work history and so forth. But I always say, when in doubt, put everything you want to have happen in the remarks section. At the very end of that online application, there's a remarks section and you always reiterate what it is that you're trying to do. So if, for example, you're trying to restrict your application because you fall into that category of lucky folks, then you would say something like, you know, I am filing a restricted application. I am not filing for retirement benefits. They are not within the scope of this application. Um, so that's something I would do. So that's one way. You can make a phone appointment. Um, to talk to someone live, or you can uh, just call and get the luck of the draw and hold until you get somebody. I think that the call times have gotten, or the hold times rather, have gotten better. But by far the best way to do it is to go online and do it. And then it'll, it'll um, give you a confirmation number and you can go back into that application. You don't have to do it all at once. So that's probably the easiest way to do it until the field office is open. Well, uh, Heather, you're... Um expertise is certainly uh, very, very helpful. And just to explain, I want to say this again, you know, we actually have, in all essence, hired Heather uh, to to help us. And so we pay her money uh, uh, annually to make sure that we can answer all these questions. So if you're listening, and you're thinking, hey, I'd like to have an analysis on my Social Security, um, what, you know, I'm thinking, I'm, you know, teetering right now on exactly how to do it. Um, the way it would work is basically you can go to our website. If you go to pomwealth.net, at the very top, you can see there a, a place that you can actually schedule a complimentary 15-minute phone conversation. And then if we get that information, then we, we, we work along with Heather to make sure that we're going to give you the best advice possible and hopefully be able to help you understand all these things. So uh, Heather, thank you so much for coming on. It has just been uh, fantastic and a, and a lot of good information. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure. All right, everyone. That wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.